Welcome to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. I'm Dr. Renee Frazier, a social psychologist and entrepreneur. I run Frazier Communications, a full-service integrated advertising and marketing firm. But my passion is all about how we can help women. So I've named the show Why Women. And that is, why do women succeed in ways that maybe men don't? Why do we face certain obstacles and concerns? What can we learn from women who have succeeded? And ultimately, I want to help women with listening to this show to find ways to lead and succeed. Well, today, I'm very fortunate to have a woman who has exemplified leadership and certainly success in a very strongly male-dominated field. I have Chief Kristen Crowley on the show, and Chief Crowley is the head of the fire department here in Los Angeles. She has been uh, at least 22, yes, 22, almost 23 years in the service, and we're going to share, she's going to share her stories, her experience, and some tips, advice that she has uh, been able to share with others so we can learn more about how we can be more successful. Welcome to the show, Chief Crowley. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Renee. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to be able to talk with you. I told you before we got started, there are a lot of women in Los Angeles who look up to you and are watching your success. Uh, I think we loved the fact that when you were sworn in, you had your wife and children there. It was great to see the family supporting you. But I'd like to talk about your own experiences coming to uh, uh, if I, if you will, coming to public service. And that's what I see, of course, the work and the fire department includes, and of course, police and other areas, really important jobs that help all of us. Uh, so take us back to some of your childhood experiences, Chief Crowley. Where, where did you grow up? What do you think influenced you? Sure. So I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So I'm a Midwest gal and I uh, grew up in a great community, very community oriented. Um, and I, you know, we had fantastic schools, fantastic communities. Uh, my mother was a, a teacher and my father was a business person um, in Green Bay. But I tell you, I, I look back and reflect on where I grew up and the things that I was involved in. And I, I absolutely know, you know, from my athletic background, that really helped me kind of shape my competitiveness mm-hmm. it shaped the the mental toughness and dedication to a team which directly relates obviously to the fire service so I played sports all my life um, I uh, played three sports in high school I played volleyball basketball and softball and then wow. I went on to college and I went to St. Mary's in Notre Dame Indiana and I played two uh, collegiate uh, sports there I played uh, soccer and basketball so I kind of reflect back on that, um, at least, like I said, that I can really look to is like, okay, what helped me sure. uh, succeed within the fire service, especially the male-dominated type of career. Sure. The other half of the equation, I think, is just where I grew up and um, the types of schools that I was very uh, fortunate to go to. I actually went to an all-women's high school and an all-women's college, which I think is pretty unique. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel that that set me up for success as well, just because I could focus on being a student-athlete and focus on my academia. And that, I think, really contributed to my success uh, overall. I like hearing that. You know, I, I will say I have uh, 30 employees at Fraser Communications. And one of the things that I look for in hiring folks is uh, being on a team. 
Yeah. I think it's a, a sports team, right? As they were growing up, uh, you learn that it isn't all about you. You learn, as you said, the value of teamwork. I think you also learn how to motivate people, right? And and it isn't always with power. Some, it's very often just with influence. I mean, when you were growing up and, and, and playing soccer and basketball in college, uh, did you like being a leader or were you more of a follower? You know, it's interesting, like you, you kind of reflect back on that as well. And um, I usually ended up in a captain's role. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a formal leadership role, but I, I kind of had to earn that. And that's really how it is in business and in any type of career as well as you, you kind of understand and you come up through the ranks and then you eventually get to that leadership role. It was never handed to me. It was usually my I think the earliest I was a captain on one of my teams was my junior year, which doesn't happen that often. But um, all of the teams I was on my senior year, both in high school and college, I ended up being the captains of all the teams. So Mm -hmm. um, it's something that you work up to. And I think that also helps you understand um, from a formal leader is when you're not the leader and you're the follower, it's just as important to understand how to follow well Yes, uh, as well. So I think that those are all important steps. I think the other thing is to be the, the captain, you're not always the best player or in your right. case. No, that's a fantastic point. That's true. Um, oftentimes I was, I was always kind of um, maybe the hardest working person mm-hmm. out there, but never like the high score. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was a defender, I was always kind of leaving everything out there on the field or on the court, but not necessarily always in the headlines for being the top uh, scorer, which is interesting, right, when you kind of yes. look back on that. Yes, exactly. I think people assume in order to be the captain, and I think with young people, sometimes it's, well, I'm not that great a player, therefore I can't be the captain. Not necessarily true. If you work hard at it, you show the dedication, and you get other people excited. I'll tell a, a really short story about that. One of my daughters was in water polo in high school, and uh, uh, she's short like me she's about five feet five two and when you're swimming in water polo you know you have to have amazing endurance and typically be able to really lift out of the water to make a goal well she was never the highest scoring but she was always in the middle and she was go for it emily you can do it you know she was cheering them on and i and i I was so proud of her and she became you know captain of the team not because she was the best player but as you just talked about dedicated hardworking, and people really responded to her Sounds like you had those qualities as well. Yeah, and that's really as you kind of understand. I'm, I'm definitely a student of leadership. I've, I'm still a student of leadership. I think that we all are. Mm-hmm. There's, there, you can never learn it all. But being an athlete and understanding what that means, um, it is about influencing others, supporting them, motivating them, bringing their game up, and elevating their game. And I think another piece that I, I learned is it, it's it's not about you. It's not about the individual side of things. It's completely about how do we succeed as a team uh, and how do we grow as, you know, good human beings. Truly, truly. And that's why I actually, you know, started my firm focused on mission, which was to use communications to make the world a better place. And, and, and that's what we try to do, you know, with the kind of messaging that we do. Let me, let me ask about the other piece of your growing up. You mentioned there was an emphasis on the community in Wisconsin and the town you grew up in. But what do you think intrigued you about a fire service or that kind of, I mean, you could have been run for a political office. There's lots of ways you could give back to the community. 
Yes, you know, so my I get I get asked that question off is like, oh, some people know that they want to be in the fire service right since they were children. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I had a very unconventional way of getting to the fire department. I actually had my eye on uh, becoming an orthopedic surgeon. I, I had a, a knee injury, almost career knee career ending knee injury in uh, college. I tore my anterior cruciate ligament. And back in the, well, it was the early 90s, that, that could have been it for me. Um, but I went through a surgery, and then I got really intrigued by orthopedic surgery. So I was pre-med, and I was actually on my way to medical school. I moved out here right oh after I graduated. I was studying for the MCAT, started to uh, look into medical schools and applying. And I thought, this is, you know, I want to do something in between the time. So I did my emergency medical technician, and everybody in my classes, of course, the only woman, uh, wanted to be in the fire service. I was like, what is this all about? Now I'm focused on I want to become a, a doctor. And then I did my paramedic internship, and that's when everything just, I did a 180. I ended up doing my internship with Los Angeles City Fire Department, and at that moment, I'm talking almost seconds when I walked into the fire station, there was just such a direct parallel to being a student athlete all my life and being part of that team and what it really means uh, to work together and everybody has their task and we all rely on one another. Well, what a perfect scenario that was for me then to then think, okay, the fire service is actually what I should be doing and want wow. to do. So I had a really unconventional way of getting there. True. I was a little bit older when I got hired. I wasn't hired until I was uh, 28. Oh, my. So, uh, but I worked as a paramedic for a while prior to getting hired. There was a hiring freeze back then. So I just kind of kept my my eye on the goal once I decided I wanted to become a, a firefighter. And I came full circle and ended up getting hired by, um, by the L.A. City Fire. That's exciting. I mean, that's great to hear. It sounds like you were really drawn to it when you walked in. Now, a lot of us listening would think, well, wait a minute, Uh, they were all men. I mean, uh, it's a very macho environment, yet you felt like this was the place you belonged. What do you think uh, drew you in? You said it was a little bit because it was a team. You could feel the connection. Yes, it was, you know, just imagine, and many of your, you know, the listeners, I'm sure, have had that experience where, you know, some, you're just a big if you're if it's part of your life for um, years and years and years where I was a student athlete and you're used to competing you're used to having a very root you know routine you have to take care of what you need to on the mental side and the right. physical side it was just such a perfect parallel ah. so as soon as I got into the fire service side of things I thought oh my gosh this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing now I did have that core mission internally that drove me and that was to serve. I knew that I wanted to do something where I was serving others, whether that was in the medical field or within the fire service. So that was a, a big connection there. But when when I added on the physicality of what it meant to be a firefighter and the dedication, knowing, hey, for the rest of my career, I need to make sure that I am mentally and physically able to do this job. And that was also intriguing to me. I think that was the athletic background that I had. Sure, um, sure. You are listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, Why Women. We're talking with Chief Crowley of the Fire Service. We're going to talk next about what it takes to be a firefighter. She could sense the uh, the role that we'd be and how involved it was, very similar to the teamwork and the amount of dedication that's required to go out on the field. And she saw that in her fire service work. Let's learn what it takes to be a firefighter.
Welcome back to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. Why women? We're talking about how one can become a firefighter, how you can get involved in the fire service. There is an array. There are many jobs. There is an array of jobs. I want to learn more. We're talking with the new fire chief in Los Angeles, Chief Crowley. Chief Crowley, welcome back to the show. Talk to us a little about a bit about what it takes to be a firefighter and what the various roles are. I'll just say one thing before you answer. I saw there about 3,779 people in service in there. That includes people who are, what I understand to be volunteers working in our fire service. Tell us more. Sure. So, you know, there's a couple different models of uh, fire departments throughout the nation. Um, L.A. City Fire Department is actually the third largest fire department in the nation, uh, just behind New York and Chicago. Um, So we are considered a career firefighter or firefighting, I should say. And then like across the nation, you've got a variety of other um, models. One would be a combined uh, fire department, and that has volunteers as well as paid firefighters. And then you have all volunteer uh, fire departments. But specifically for L.A. City, uh, we're broken into our sworn members that are career firefighters. Uh, as well as uh, over 500 civilian uh, members that uh, do a variety of different functions within our fire department. So we're considered a career uh, fire department. Well, that makes sense. You're covering over 3 million people in Los Angeles City. And and there are different roles to be played. I saw when I looked at your career path, uh, you were paramedic and then various roles. Can you describe some of these that are in the fire service so listeners can think, oh, I, I, I should shoot for that opportunity? Yes. I mean, that's actually was what was really intriguing to me as well. Um, when I did decide to enter into the fire service, and if I was walking away from being a physician, I knew I wanted to do something that I would always continue to grow and to learn. And I promised myself, I promised myself that I would never become complacent. So yeah, I like that. fire service absolutely, you know, allows you to grow. And, you know, the, the promotions are there. It's extremely competitive. Uh, but if you work really hard and you set yourself up for success, um, you know, I, I walked through and, and earned every promotion. So I started off as a, like I said earlier, I was a paramedic before I got hired, which really helped me get hired because we're looking for paramedics. And then I went through the fire academy as a firefighter. And then I had the opportunity um, as a firefighter paramedic, and I promoted to engineer. And the engineer is the person that actually drives the fire engine. Ah. Uh, you promote, or you actually uh, maintain the fire engine, and you're responsible for training the members. And you pump water uh, down through the hose at the end of the nozzle. It's very technical. Then I promoted a fire inspector, and the fire inspectors are the ones that do all the really critical fire inspections in in the very complex buildings. Mm-hmm. I promoted a captain one. That's usually a captain that's a fir- like frontline supervisor. That's the first time I actually really had to technically supervise the, supervise other firefighters, and you're responsible for the fire engine and the uh, the members on that engine. And then I promoted a captain two. Now you're in charge of a whole station and also the other captain one and all the personnel. So you wow. can have up to 16 people that are under your command, uh-huh. and I just built it from there. Then I became a, a promoted to a battalion chief. A battalion chief now in charge of could be up to seven to nine fire stations, and now you supervise all the captains and all the personnel in your whole battalion. Mm-hmm. 
then assistant chief, uh, and now you're in charge. I actually was in an administrative area, and that's where I was in charge of our internal affairs. And that was a very complex, complicated oh area of the department and the discipline side of our department. Um, and then from there, I promoted to uh, the first female fire marshal. That's a deputy chief position. Now I'm in charge of a whole bureau, and that's where the fire inspectors, you know, we've got uh, a couple hundred fire inspectors mm-hmm. that are in charge of all the complex uh, inspections, wow. and we enforce the fire code. And then recently, I had moved into the administrative operations as a chief deputy, again, the first female um, person in, in that rank. Yes. Uh, and that was pretty amazing. Now I'm in charge of four bureaus and a couple different sections, um, over 500 people under my command. And then just recently on the 25th, I was sworn in as the 19th uh, fire chief of the city of Los Angeles. And um Truly honored. So that's, that's been my career path. Wow. Wow. You know, levels I didn't even realize that exist. But let's go back to um, becoming a firefighter, the academy, the work that was done. The perception I have is that it's extremely difficult physically as well as mentally. Tell me about that. Was yeah, it, so, uh, yeah, you were an even athlete, with all my so, athletic background yeah. and competing at at the collegiate level, mm-hmm. uh, I tell you, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. <laughs> um, it's just physically and mentally very, very challenging. Um, I'm smaller in stature as well. I'm 5'5 I'm five, five with my boots on. But I had the expectation was, you know, I had to do the same exact job um, as all of my male and taller counterparts. So it is what it is. The tools and equipment are what they are. You have to be able to do the job. So I just made, I just ensured that I was at my very top physical shape and you figure out how to use technique. Uh, you got to get through this 20-week fire academy. Back then, that's that's how long mine was. Mm-hmm. And you got to try to stay injury-free. They're, you're testing every day on the uh, manipulative side of things, but also on the academic side. Mm. So it was very, very challenging. But uh, certainly, you know, uh, we have uh, people coming through that are very successful. Yes. And um, But it certainly was a challenge. Well, and can you tell me how many women make it through? Sure. So it just, it varies. Uh, Back when I went through, it was just myself and one other woman. Uh, She also was successful. um, And now, like I said, we're coming up on our 23rd year. Um, You know, since, um, you know, we see anywhere, I think the highest that we had were 10 women in our fire academy. Uh, But that also, what I'm more, especially in my current um, position as a fire chief, you know, we have... um, women that come in, but then our attrition rate of actually who graduates is it's about 50% of the women do not make it through. That's interesting. So there is a a heightened awareness, I think, from me being in the seat of understanding the why behind it. It's like, okay, well, we had five women graduate, but why didn't we have 10? Right. right? And it's uh, being very thoughtful and strategic. Uh, Yes, not lowering standards by any means, but how, we need to do a deep dive to understand the why. And yeah. we also lose uh, men as well. Uh, yeah. There's, a, eh, I'd say, about a 20% uh, failure rate. So uh, we're doing a deep dive in that as we speak to un- better understand, like, okay, how do we ensure that our, our brand-new recruits are coming in our fire academy? I think there's the, the missing component there is a preparatory side. And we do a lot of prep um, mm-hmm. with our candidates prior to them getting in the drill tower, 
But I think we need to be a lot uh, more strategic in how we do that. I, I think it's a difficult assignment. You know, we work with uh, universities. I work with uh, USC and UCLA in different schools. And, and in particular, in the business school, we've been asked to help them do research on women making it through the program. So in the entrepreneurial program, they find that they have a high proportion of women signing up at less than 50% finish, just as you said. Yeah, that's and, interesting. That's yeah. an interesting parallel. Yeah, unfortunately, I think there are a lot of issues that uh, women face when they get into it that they didn't know about ahead of time. Uh, I'll, you know, just to credit you with the idea of preparation, expectations mm-hmm. and what's needed and what's wanted. The other thing that we saw was uh, a lack of role models, right? That uh, confident when they start, but then they don't see other women succeeding. And therefore, uh, sometimes we take it personally and it creates more self-doubt. Mm-hmm. But uh, right. I think, in you know, in the case of these women, as many as 10 is great to see. I, I You know, it's interesting because the the fun the expectation is there is bias that there is going to be some negative comments and did you experience that all at all as you were moving through the ranks uh you know i, I and it's it's interesting because i think if you were to ask any of your listeners they would say yes you know it does i think doesn't matter what career you're in that's right i think the key to that though is what do you do about it yes. right so i can speak specifically with my own experiences and this is my journey. You could talk to other women on an apartment, and their journey is going to be different than mine. Same thing with the, the men on the job. But just I think specifically for me, um, yes, I would say that there's been biases or there's been issues. Uh, but, you know, I think the key of how I've been able to deal with that, especially if it was, let's say, uh, an inappropriate comment or just something that just, you know, was not right. It had purely something to do with me being a woman and especially uh, just coming up through the ranks and being younger on the job. I just had a sense of, you know what, I need to address this and I need to address it at the lowest level. I don't know hmm. how I need to do that. I just intrinsically knew wow. like I need to address this now so that whoever was doing that, that was, you know, out of bounds or it was inappropriate, uh-huh. that person knew. It's like, hey, just so you know, what you just did was totally inappropriate. And I don't appreciate it. Whatever my tactic was at the time. Yes. And then I think that that actually paid dividends in the end for me because good, bad, or indifferent, it changed their behavior. They knew that I kind of put them out there to say, hey, I didn't appreciate that and don't do it again. I was right. very clear and articulate in, mm-hmm. in how I took it. And I didn't play any games. You know, I, like I, I just felt like you were they, they got to understand where I stand. Yep. And I'm going to prove, yep. you know, day in and day out that I can do this job. Uh, I'm going to work hard. And I've earned every single promotion um, that, you know, that I moved into by working hard and understanding my job and Building my credibility and my confidence. Building your credibility. This has been Chief Crowley that we've been talking with. You're listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. Chief Crowley just shared with us how she took it head on when there were negative comments and, and set the record straight. And I think many of us are fearful about doing that. We'll talk in the next segment how Chief Crowley is addressing changes in the fire department. I suspect she's hitting them straight on 
which is a great thing to hear. So stay tuned and listen to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, Why Women. Welcome to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, Why Women. I'm a social psychologist and entrepreneur talking about how do we help women in the issues we deal with day to day. We're talking about a woman who has an important role in the city of Los Angeles and an unusual role for a woman. She is Chief Kristen Crowley, who is running our fire service for L.A. City, which is the third largest in the United States. Uh, uh, Chief Crowley, we were just talking about how when you encountered bias in your career, you hit it head on, which I think is really important. I suspect a lot of that comes from being an athlete where you just had to take on tough issues. But when I think of tough issues and the fire department, I know that there's been some scrutiny about the fire department, the diversity issues, operational effectiveness. Uh, Tell us what you're addressing as you've just stepped into this role. What are your top three priorities? Sure. So you, you hit one of them. Uh, number one priority is to ensure that we're operationally ready. We got it. We have to make sure that when our community calls us, that we're staffing our rigs, that we've got a well-trained uh, firefighters that are out there taking care of our individual community's needs. Uh, so that's number one. We have to make sure that we're operationally ready. Mm-hmm. Number two for me uh, was, and this might be a little bit of a different focus, but I'm really focusing on the human side of our department, our, our members, our firefighters, and their needs, right? So, you know, we have to make sure that we're taking care of one another before we can take care of others. Uh, that's just, for me, that's very intrinsic. Good point. Um, and I think it's human nature. So I wanted to focus on our firefighters. So my second priority is uh, firefighter safety, health, and overall well-being. And the well-being piece, we've just really started to look at that, but on the behavioral health side is really, really important that, you know, our members come to work and they're well-balanced, they're well-rested, uh, they have a, a good work-life balance, and when anything's off-kilter, I think we've all felt that in our lives, it just, you can't come to work and, and give it your all. So I right. am taking a little bit of a different approach, and I'm really looking uh, into supporting our firefighters uh, so that they can come to work and they feel supported and, you know, that we're looking at them holistically, not just as first responders. That's great. That's yeah, and thirdly, um, the other piece is work environment, and that's kind of what you talked about or alluded to. It's like, well... Uh, in especially with uh, our, our specific fire department, we've we've heard stories and it's we've been in the media in regard to work environment issues. So that's another thing I want to hit head on is to ensure that our work environment is conducive for everybody, not just the the chosen people. It's across the board so that our firefighters and and sworn and civilian members come to work. And they feel supported, they feel included, they feel like they are part of the team, and they feel heard, and they feel valued. So those are all things when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we're actually starting to spin up, and we're looking into a variety of different ways to better uh, manage our work environments through Mm -hmm. training. Um, And one of the most important points is also the accountability, and the Mm -hmm. accountability piece is 
making sure we hold one another accountable for how we treat one another. I like it. I like it. I mean, those are three great priorities. And uh, I'm glad to hear that operational readiness is number one, because obviously we depend on the fire service and we want uh, the equipment to be ready, the people to be ready. You know, when the second area is uh, the health and wellness of the team, uh, we're, we're doing a large scale project for a national company right now, determining what feeds into effectiveness and their feelings post-pandemic, if you will, or at least now, if at the stage we're in with the pandemic. And it's interesting, programs and policies are important, but what rose to the top were the emotional connections between people. Oh, yes, that's so important, because when you have that, and if you, you know, each person can reflect back, and when you've had that at work or even at home or whatever it may be, uh, you can really function at super high levels. Right. And I tell you, when you can increase people's motivation, satisfaction, and job performance all in one, that's kind of a win-win-win across the board. I agree. I agree. And I think listening, you know, is a critical component. And uh, that plays into your third element, which, of course, has to do with uh, creating an environment where people feel included and valued, uh, which is really important. I, I have to believe that as a woman leading the, the fire service, there's a perception of your caring at a high level and I don't know if that's part of your persona. Would you say that? You know, I think so. I think, you know, I've, I've had the ability over the past uh, you know, to almost 23 years to uh, create that space. So the people that I've worked around, it's not going to be anything new to them. I also think just stepping into this leadership role and, and being a woman, it's it's intrinsic, I think, for people to look at women as being a little bit more empathetic or sympathetic, right. ability to connect. And actually, I tell you, I think that's what we need more than ever uh, within our department and within the fire service. So the timing is really phenomenal uh, for us to move forward. And if the person at the top actually shows that they value and then they can listen and they they can create that space where you know, they actually feel supported. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tell you, like I said, the sky's the limit. I agree. I agree. A lot of changes can happen. I think when you also look at your workforce, you've got to look at these younger people, right, under 40. So we've got millennials Mm -hmm. and Gen Z, and they they want to speak loudly and be heard. They don't necessarily want to have to work through all the layers. Have you instituted any new ways of listening or engagement with people, or is that in the in something to come? Yeah, you know, it, I think we've intrinsically been doing that, understanding that it is important to understand generational differences, right? We can't just pretend like everybody's the same, right. has 38 years on the job with their life experiences versus a brand new firefighter that was born in the 1990s, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of differences there, and I think we'd be fools if we didn't pay attention to that, right? So we look at a lot of different ways to communicate, uh, bringing things more up to speed in regard to, you know, how people talk and communicate um, to the new generation versus the old way of uh, picking up the phone and talking to somebody. Well, yes. new generation, there's and a quicker, more text. efficient way that they right. like to do things. You're so right. We're looking at, 
you know, uh, kind of revamping the way we do things. And I think we have already institutionalized some of that, but there's obviously always room to grow. Well, it's, you know, it's constant adapting. I mean, you talked about also constant learning, right? Never happy with complacency. So in this role, I'm sure you're going to be implementing, you know, new things as you evolve. Uh, Is there, are there goals being set for representation on the diversity side or what's happening in that area? Yeah, so um, I think we're always shooting for a goal, but honestly, um, from my perspective, I don't want to put a number on it. I think we should always be aiming for it, right? Mm-hmm. So never, it's never enough. That's right. You know, to say, oh, we need 5% women, we need this percent African American, then we need this percent. If To me, if we truly value what each individual is bringing to the table in regard to especially a 30-plus year career in the fire service, You know, we have to make sure that we're bringing that into our workforce. So we're actively engaged in our recruitment efforts right right now. So it's really important that we pay attention to that and look at each individual person as what they're bringing. And it does go beyond ethnicity, gender, race, all of it. Uh, We're looking for a holistic person who does have a a heart to serve. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, from my perspective, I would just say, you know, there's never enough. I like that. I like that. I think one of the things I heard Gail Becker speak to, she was on my show a while back, and she started this company, Kali Power, and she talked about how you can find gems of individuals based on their drive and their personal Mm-hmm. goals. It doesn't always apparent in there. It isn't always apparent in their resume, but you can sense that. And I suspect that happens in the fire service as well. It does. And those intrinsic values that are in alignment with our core values are really, really important when you talk about service, mm-hmm. putting service above self, right? That's why we're here as firefighters and, and paramedics and dispatchers and everybody that we have within our department. We go back to our core mission of making sure that we're serving and protecting and that we, you know, protect lives and property. So all of that is alignment with service above self. I like that. I'm, yes, service above self. I think that's really, really important. I, I do believe, though, there are challenges, you know, in finding more women to come into the fire service. Um, there has to be a sense that I'm welcomed, that I'm wanted. And I, the common value is service above self, right? That is going to be the, um, I, you can relate to that. But if there is a hazing or yeah. negative comments, that can, that can obviously be an obstacle. How, it how do you see can. that? It certainly can. And that's, I think, just me sitting in this seat as we speak, as the head of this department, as the fire chief, is going to resonate. And that's, you know, that's a huge stepping off point for our organization, let alone the fire service. So I'm going to take all this momentum that's behind us, and we're going to keep pushing forward and show that our department specifically will be and can be in that position. We value everybody on this department. We each bring our own intrinsic skill sets right. and that make us a strong team, and it does go back to the team. But I think just from the optics of me being in the seat absolutely challenges the status quo. Yes. And to know that, you know, my experiences, they can look at me and go, wow, okay, she she made it, and she had a successful career, 
And I think it's a really wonderful jumping off point for our department. I agree. I mean, they could look at you and see a role model and you can be candid about the uh, all the issues that you face. Uh, you know, this has uh, been fascinating. We're, you're listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier show, uh, Why Women? And we have a woman in charge of our fire service in Los Angeles City. And we're learning from her what it took to get to that role and how she's emphasizing operational readiness, the human side of being a firefighter, which includes their well-being. And she's looking at the work environment, how they can increase uh, inclusion as a team. So stay tuned. We're going to hear Chief Crowley talk to us about advice. As you know, on this show, we like tips and practical advice. We're going to learn straight from the chief advice that she can provide to all of us women as we want to lead and succeed. Stay tuned. This is the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. I'm a psychologist and entrepreneur talking about why women. In this case, we're talking about how women can be more successful. We have on the show Chief Kristen Crowley, who's chief of our fire service in L.A. City, first woman to take that role. Chief Crowley, let's talk about advice for women. You've been through the ranks, uh, you, your teamwork and your sports, uh, being on the soccer and the, uh, the basketball team in college, as well as volleyball ball and basketball and soccer in high school. Tell us some of the lessons you would like to share with our women listeners and the men who are in their lives. Sure. I would think um, one of the first pieces of advice is to get out of your own way, right? So when we have our inner voice and you've got that self-doubt, that in itself can just stop you in your tracks, right? So being super mindful of that and when you have that self-doubt, you got to turn down the noise mm-hmm. and look for the things and focus on the things that you bring to the to the table, like we talked about earlier, the the piece that you bring that brings value, right? So then you just work towards that. So I think the number one thing is to make sure you turn down the noise, you get out of your own way. There's enough obstacles to deal with that you need to figure out how to get around and, and bust through. So I think the number one thing is to make sure that you get out of your own way and you turn down that, that self-doubt in your head. Right. And you have to be aware of what that self-doubt is, right? And uh, and unfortunately, sometimes that gets created in our childhood based on an experience we had or something that was said to us. Uh, uh, but I think in your case, you know, you've been able to get past any of those self-doubts. And part of it, it sounds like, was team sports, right? Being active and just finding being better at what you could be better at. Is that fair? Yeah, uh-huh. Absolutely. I think it's it's looking for those opportunities, too. It's uh, you, Sometimes you just have to be super aware of the opportunities. Something may pass by you and you didn't even think, ah, I don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you look for those opportunities like, you know what, I'm going to step out and I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. And then you then from that point, now you start to build a whole nother skill set that just adds to the value, just keep adding and adding to the value. And pretty soon you are the most important player on the team because you have all the skill sets 
and they need you more than you need them, right? right. That's like the perfect scenario right. you can get yourself into. So you just keep working towards that. Always look, you know, you talk about the mentorships that are out there, informal and formal. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I, I would um, ask your listeners, too, if you're already in a position of authority, we all know it's like time to give back. I'm really right. reflecting on that, especially with my journey over the past, you know, 23 years. Is like, okay, yeah, I've had a number of individuals who have kind of, peer-to-peer help me and then pretty soon they're pushing me ahead of them and now now you know they get me on their shoulders and now I'm I'm way ahead of them so I look back and reflect and it's absolutely my turn and Mm -hmm. so I'm I'm hoping that people who are in those positions already are really thoughtful about reaching down and pulling other people up with them uh, to to better prepare them and to bring to help them bring value to the team as well yeah we have to see that as part of our legacy and and part of our obligation. But I want to drill down on on something you said. And I've, I've made a note of it being number two, which to be super aware of opportunities. Mm-hmm. When I speak to young women who are in corporate America, I'll often hear that they feel they're not being recognized for their capabilities by their managers and supervisors, right? right? And one of the pieces of advice is to raise your hand to be on a task force. Take on an assignment outside of your regular duties so you can demonstrate your skills. And I think it speaks to what you're saying, bring added value to the equation. Yes, I I tell you, that's happened time and time again. And sometimes if you're not paying attention, the opportunity just floats right by, Mm -hmm. right? So just be super cognizant of like, there might be a little extra work here and there. But the reality is, the more you're exposed to, obviously, you're going to build your skill set. But ultimately, and this is direct parallel to the fire service, when I, when I talk to people and mentor them, I said, look for those opportunities. Like you said, look for opportunities to train others. Look for continuing your education or increasing, uh, let's say, your, your skill set and whatever it may be. And in the end, it'll help you make better decisions. Right. Because right. the more you're exposed to, the better you're going to be able to reflect back and go, okay, yeah, I actually have an answer for this. Or, ooh, I know I can't make a a quick decision on this because I don't have all the facts. So the more you're exposed to, the better, because it'll help you make better decisions. Yeah, you get get noticed, too, right? People see that you uh, raised your hand. And uh, I have to say, for many women, uh, the research shows this, they're given the toughest job, especially when there aren't many women in the ranks. And a woman comes up, I had a colleague who's uh, very senior at Toyota, right? And uh, one of their divisions was in the town. Well, they made her run that. And then another division was having trouble. And, uh, you know, with all kinds of personnel issues, they had her run that. I mean, it was uh, and and she laughed at it, but it was her chance at leadership. And you had to step into really tough situations. And and as you said, you take away something from it, but it can be a challenge. Right. No, that's interesting because I've dire- I've had direct parallels to that where you kind of are stepping into a situation that's very complex with a lot of issues and they give it to you. Well, you can look at it as one way. You know, they're setting you up for failure. Right. But I looked at it from the other perspective. Okay, you know, I actually know how to collaborate. I know how to communicate. I know how to support my people. And we're going to build it from the foundation from the bottom up so that we don't have this issue. And we've had to do that time and time again. So yes. now once you prove you can do that, then they go, okay. Right. Oh, and everybody pays attention to it because they see what you're able to do with a team and how you're able to build it and mm-hmm. actually come up with solutions that are sustainable. Yep. And I tell you, that's, that's, 
definitely helped me get to where I where I am today. I can believe it. I mean, when you're a problem solver, mm-hmm. people see that. Can you give an example of something that happened to you where you took one of those kind of out there uh, opportunities or, or challenges? Yeah, I mean, I can actually, just a jumping off point where I was a very young firefighter on the job. I only had literally like, I just got off probation. So that's a year. After after the uh, the fire academy, you rotate through three different fire stations and you're on probation for a full year. After that, then it's kind of sky's the limit. You get to determine, you know, where you want to go and what you want to do in your career. And right, literally, day one after probation, I was already looking for opportunities. So I I joined the Urban Search and Rescue, started taking a bunch of classes because I figured, well, this is really interesting to me, but it would give me a whole other skill set. Then that kind of grew to being an instructor. That grew to being part of the California Task Force One, and we got deployed on a couple different major missions, and that that just kind of propelled me forward, and that was day one after probation. Wow. Wow. Urban search and rescue, that sounds really serious. So that's, is that issues where there's been some kind of a disaster or a right, big fire? Right, right. That actually kind of came um, at full circle after the Northridge earthquake, and they started to build on a, on a federal level. These are all federal-level teams that are funded uh, through federal grants, and we're called out on major catastrophes. We're called out on uh, 9-11 in New York. We're called out on uh, multiple hurricanes in Texas and Katrina and Irma. Uh, and we're called out on multiple missions that could happen across the nation, let alone something local here in, in Los Angeles. So, so we're highly prepared and right. trained when it comes to technical rescue, um, canine search. Uh, there's a whole gamut uh, that we're trained you, in. And you, you're sent, one of the jumping off points. For you're me. sent to other cities then? Yes, yes, if we're needed. You're mm-hmm. deployed. I didn't realize that. I don't think people understood that. There's, Is there a federal network that identifies you as a potential? Yeah, yes, it's actually a federal um, team. And we're in California. There's a number of teams. We're California Task Force One. There's teams in San Diego, up north. And I think there's eight teams in California, let alone in different states. So just oh. depending upon if it's a hard-hit area, you know, the local jurisdiction is really going to be overwhelmed. Sure. So that's where the federal team can come in. Makes sense. But there are local firefighters that are trained at a very high level, and all the tools and equipment are grant-funded uh, through federal funds. Right. And then we would go in and uh, render aid. So you raised your hand and were part of that early on, as you said. We're going to be ending this segment pretty soon. I want to make sure I capture any additional advice you'd like to share. Oh, I would just say keep pushing yourself and and, uh, understand that those opportunities are out there and know who uh, could potentially be there to to assist you. But a lot of it, I said, you have a lot of control inside of what's going on inside of your head. So be super aware. Look for those opportunities to grow. Um, And the other one piece I did want to touch on is being very thoughtful about managing your work-life balance. Mm. Um, I think that's really, really important. And I've had the opportunity. Uh, to do that because it was a priority. You talked about my family. Uh, I've got a wife and, and three children, and you just have to be very mindful because any job, doesn't matter where you are, can swallow you up if you let it. You're right. How there do you do that? There is a way you to draw balance a... it and be mindful right. of how you can have it all, but there's a strategy uh, behind that. You just have to maintain that you know what your priorities are, both at home and at work, and, and balance it the right way. So in your particular case, you just draw the lines and you have certain times you're, you're yeah, at home? Have, you have to create 
create uh, balance. You have to create boundaries, uh, especially the higher up you get. You'd be surprised. You actually do have control of your schedule. You just have to be mindful about it. Right. And you have to be, um, you know, my my family is my priority. So if there's something going on and, hey, I I need to be there for my my daughter's soccer game, I'll I'll work around my work. Good for you. Good for you. And you talk about it. Right. So everybody else knows that it's okay to take that kind of time. Yeah, you're definitely setting the example for everybody else. This has been wonderful. Thank you. This has been Chief Kristen Crowley, our fire chief here in L.A. City. Thank you so much. You brought a lot of value to the conversation. We learned about her advice to women like get past your self-doubt and look for those opportunities be super aware of those they can just subtly be around you how important mentorship is both as you look for mentors and also as as you achieve a great deal make sure you reach out to others and keep pushing right the uh be thoughtful about managing your your work-life balance was the last piece of advice wonderful thank you chief crowley i learned a great deal thank you very much dr frazier i appreciate it Well, you've been listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, Why Women, and we've learned a lot about how we can succeed and lead. Stay tuned for the show coming up next weekend, and you can always find more information about our shows at the FrazierCommunications.com website. Have a great week ahead.